Hey guys, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Thanks for joining tonight. Uh, we have an incredible guest in the studio, but first I want to recognize my main man, Rob, hopping in again. Thanks, pal, for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I can't believe this. Uh, having you here. be part of the show, you know, like you're, you're here. This is it. So it's uh, this COVID thing screwing us up though, brother. Yeah. You know, we, we've been talking about, um, we got back in the studio for like two or three podcasts and then it just uh, fired up again. Uh, we moved. And so now we're, we're doing this Zoom thing and I, I can't wait to get back in the studio. But there's a point I bring that up tonight. And the reason why is because if we weren't doing the Zoom and we were in studio, I don't think we'd have our guest on tonight. And so I'm super excited. The, the COVID-19 has forced us to get out of the Northeast and find guys that are making a difference all over this country. Um, you know, and in the fire service, you know, we're Northeast guys, New York, New Jersey area, New England. Um, so we are always, uh, you know, inundated with incredible firefighters in the Northeast. And so we, we spend a lot of time there. But um, tonight's guest is from the peninsula of the United States, Florida. Um, Eric Wheaton, he's a lieutenant in Winter Park, Florida. And I am absolutely honored to have him on tonight. Eric, thank you, sir, for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Look forward to it. So I want to get into this. Um, on top of being a, a career lieutenant um, in Winter Park, Florida, uh, you also are the owner of Venator Search, which is a training company and a blogging website, um, which is really truck-oriented um, and really spreading a good word about training and the brotherhood for the fire service. So I want to hop in and I want to read something real quick. Um, this comes right off your website. Aggressive truck company functions are quickly becoming the lost art of the fire service. VenEnderSearch.com was created by a few Central Florida firemen who enjoy talking fire. Every day in every city across the nation, firefighters sit down and talk fire. We wanted to create a place on the web that everyone could just do that. That is fantastic, brother, because that is really what we're trying to do here as well. So like-minded people doing good things. Talk to me, man. Give me chapter one about the life of Eric Wheaton. How the hell did you get into the fire service? Yeah, so, um, and, and you know, there's some people I'll mention about Venator Search, too. Well, I won't Please. Get back into the website, but, you know, uh, Jim Walsh and Jeff Collins, they were instrumental in starting that. But uh, well, we can jump on that here in a little bit. But uh, where, uh, you know, where I started is uh, I grew up in a small town north of uh, Orlando, about 20 miles. Uh, second generation, Winter Park fireman. My dad did uh, 31 years in the, in the job there uh, in Winter Park. Um, you know, I, I actually did, don't really have this fairy tale uh, story about, you know, growing up in the firehouse, although I did, of actually wanting to become a fireman. So I'm kind of one of the unique ones where uh, my focus was kind of elsewhere. Um, maybe if my dad came home and, and talked a lot about the job, but he was kind of quiet with it, you know, he's yeah. one of those guys, his dad, like this dad, you know, my grandpa landed in Normandy uh, during D-Day and of course had all these gnarly stories of you know, uh, laying on the beach and, and grounded. He was a, a corpsman, so a medic, and he would right. grab the wounded back to the shore. So tons of stories. If you asked him, he'd tell. Same with my dad. If I would have asked him, yeah, he probably would have told me some fires and stuff like that, and I'd been interested. But uh, I was uh, big into surfing and grew up surfing, you know, being from Florida. And it wasn't until about a couple years out of high school, I, I went on a trip, a, a surf trip, a family trip with my parents and some, uh, some guys from work. Um, and they actually talked me into it right there on the beach in the Bahamas. They're like, hey, what are you going to do with your life? I was like, I don't know, man. I just want to work some BS jobs and save some money and go on surf trips. And, how old, uh, how old like, were you? Hey, you, know, you? I was probably at that time, I was 19 or 20. <laughs> like, yeah. I have the job for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. What do you want to do with your life? You're 18, 19 years old, right? I, was, I wasn't a you know, studious person in school. I just, you know, I wanted to get to the beach as fast as I could. So, 
uh, you know, they actually taught me into it. Like, hey, dude, you know you can be a be a be a fireman and have plenty of time to surf and all that. And I was like, I'm gonna take you up on that. And yeah. um, so I got with my dad, and of course he steered me in the right direction. Thank God, um, <laughs> he, he got me he gave me a lot of good advice in school. And in Florida's a little unique. You have to actually uh, you have to actually go to a, a community college or state college, and then you go out and apply. So you have to have your firefighter one and two, and in the state you got to have minimum mm-hmm. EMT. So you have to go through all that. It takes about a year. And then you go apply anywhere in the state. And uh, I was uh, I was never going to work for Warner Park. They actually had a nepotism law. It was, uh, had been going on for about 30 or 40 years, I believe. Nothing to do with the fire department. Like Forestry, the city of Forestry had an issue where they'd only hire family and show favoritism. So the city said, hey, we're done hiring family. So I couldn't even work for like Warner Park Streets. Well, the union and the, uh, the fire chief fought in the city and, and got that rule changed. And I was close to getting on a, 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 with a job at the coast and the fire chief called me and said, Hey, I want you to come test for us. I'd love to, you know, get the first family in 30 or 40 years. And I was going to call my dad and, you know, of course he wanted me to. So dropped everything and, uh, and, and decided to take the test and, uh, you know, landed the job there. Is it civil so, uh, service based in Florida? My, uh, we have, we have a civil service, uh, that protects the city of Warner park, uh, servants but the the actual test is not your traditional civil gotcha. service test gotcha um, okay yeah it, it's basically yeah you're firing ems questions and things like that but we we are kind of under a civil service very unique uh, Eric, kind of city. Did, <laughs> that sounded expensive um <laughs> being a first like you know one of these first people coming in as a, a family member how much like how much did that weigh on you and responsibility coming in that you were going to have like that you're i don't want to say breaking a barrier but you're going to be re-entering a barrier that had been put up was that did you feel any of that going in or huge, huge amount of stress um but did you even before you get to that did you even did you even get did you understand it because your father didn't talk about it a lot and i know a lot of guys true. like even my <laughs> even my father wasn't the most open with the fire i was a, i grew up in the firehouse but he never really talked about it right yeah. but i was at the firehouse a lot but I never got like would come home from calls, talk about it, things like that. I did, I didn't have a lot of that, but there was a huge influence in understanding how the fire service was for you not being surrounded by it, other than your father talking about it every once in a while. Did you understand the the mentality and the everything else other than putting out fires? No, not at all. I mean, yeah, you know, I I would visit him at the firehouse every once in a while. You know, <clears throat> you know, like I said, I lived like thirty minutes away from the city as a kid growing up. Now I live an hour, but. Um, you know, if we're, my mom and me were in town or something as a kid, she'd bring me by the firehouse sure. and, you know, I, I saw that and we have like, um, you go out on the boat as, uh, as a family with all the other firemen's families and we call them island parties, little islands and agricultural on the river. And <clears throat> so I, I, always, I was around it like that, but, um, you, you know, as far as like what my dad did day to day, I didn't really know. In fact, when I was really young and probably middle school, elementary school, kids would be like, oh, cool, that your dad's a fireman. And I'd be like, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> big deal to me. It was just a job. Right. Um, but, so then uh, you get that, there. That, like, that quickly. Yeah. yeah. So then, like Rob said, you get there and it's like, all right, second generation. You walk in the door and you're like, all right, what's this really all about, right? Yeah, well, and I have big mentors in fire school, uh, some heavy hitters, um, uh, all city of Orlando guys that taught yeah. me fire school. One of them, Matt Negley. They got a hell of a culture in Orlando, um, Steve huh? Steve Negley, JJ Cassetta, these guys that I call my good friends now, um, they are big in for me to get uh, big in getting me into the job. Um, and then 
later years down the road getting me um, into the teaching stuff. But, um, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I had a lot, a lot of pressure, um, probably mainly put on myself. Uh, my dad uh, coached me through all through school and, you know, through the hiring process, how I need to act, what I need to say, what I don't nice. need to do. You know, that was huge. Like, Hey, make sure you wake up and do the, get the coffee, make sure you do this. But through the process, he told me, he's like, look, you have to get number one on this test because I don't want anybody here saying you just got wow. the job because of me. Yep. So that was always, I, I just, I mean, I studied my ass off. Like I were, that was my mindset going into the test. And then, you know, especially early on in my career, when I'm trying to make my own name for myself in my department, not ride my dad's coattails yeah. is like, I just wanted, I always had it back in my head. Hey, this guy sized me up. He's probably thinking that I'm just here because my dad, so I want to be that much better of a fireman. So, you know, they accept me for Eric and not, you know, Wally's kid. Sure. But yeah, I definitely. But I, I think it's amazing that even with that pressure, like, you know, having your dad being able to like one be your dad, but also lay out that groundwork, like with you know some of the coffee and everything else, like, like that is so, like I mean that's just a golden. I don't want to say a golden ticket because it sounds weird, but like yeah. in his context, but like yeah, that's like did you did you notice that going into it too? Like did you have, did you get hired with other recruits or were you just like the single guy? Yeah, no, I got hired with uh, five or six other guys, and I definitely, and none of them I. Uh, one guy had a cousin that actually worked with us. So I don't know how much they communicated, but I was the only, we were the only father son. Um, actually still this day, we, uh, I don't know, we have one, one uh, father son right now, but um, uh, the, uh, I noticed the difference between what I knew and what the, you know, four or five other guys knew as far as that yeah. stuff, you know, um, being the first one to the rig, checking the rig, you know, uh, uh, early and often uh, being on time or being early um, taking the trash out answering the phone like I definitely give my dad all the credit in the world because here I am some surfer bum I had you know basically a blonde afro showing up to the <laughs> job like you know you know I had some bs jobs here and there you know right. most of my jobs throughout high school and out of high school were physical so at least I had some like I knew how to work physically I wasn't sure you know like a, a desk guy but uh, you know, it, that definitely had a huge advantage, um, you know, my pro years and, and getting in and having to work on that stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that, uh, you said you worked with your father for almost 10 years, um, on the line too. Yeah. Yeah. So because we were the first family members in, in 34 years, the, the fire chief really wanted to keep us on separate shifts and separate houses. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, yeah. For obvious reasons. It, yeah. Basically he didn't want a problem to um, come up and then the city be like, look, we tried it and this isn't working and we're not going to do it again. Right. Right. Um, so when I say I got to work with my dad, uh, it wasn't like I was riding the fire truck with him every single day. Although, you know, when I would get overtime and there was really nowhere else for me to go and, and a seat was open up on his engine, he, he, he retired as an engineer, big engine guy, by the way, we, we'd have a little, so, little <laughs> that was going to be, that's my next <laughs> question coming up, obviously. Yeah. Right. And then, so I, I did, and then I, I got, I did a time trade for, uh, for his tailboard guy on his last shift. So I got to spend the last 24 hours with him and you know, celebrate with some beers after shift. So that Very was, cool. That's awesome. It's an emotional yeah, day. Yeah, it was. Nice. So let's, let's roll into a little bit. Let's talk about Winter Park. So you get hired. There yeah. you are. You're learning and finding your own way. You got to forge your own path. Um, obviously the passion for the job is inside you. Um, and it just took that, the job to bring it out of you. Yeah. And so, can you, you know, hit on some of your, your first couple of years in and maybe a little background on Winter Park? Um, I know I'm not overly familiar with the yeah. department, so I don't know really the size and scope 
um, maybe just a little background and then we can roll from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got, uh, so who knows, I got hired in 2007, uh, early 2007 and, uh, Winter Park, we are the North border of downtown Orlando. So basically where the high rises stop, our city picks up. We're a very small city. We're nine square miles, um, for Florida's, uh, standards, I'd say we're fairly densely populated, uh, because within that nine square miles, we have three firehouses, three engine companies, one truck company. Um, in Florida, we call them rescues, but they are actually uh, medic transport units or ambulances with right. on them. So uh, if you hear me say rescue at all, they're and that's fire department run as well. Yep, yep, yep. It's uh, yep, fire okay. department ran, and that's pretty much the norm throughout the entire state. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then uh, and then a, a battalion chief and an EMS captain. That's basically like a safety officer on on um, major calls. We were established in 1900. Um, as a fire department in the city, uh, was established in like 1886 or seven, something like that. Very old city. Uh, they like, uh, for Florida standards, we're old city. They like to keep the small streets. Uh, we have very small streets, low tree canopy, which kind of, yep. you know, takes us down the route of how we got the tiller and, and the first one in central Florida in, in many years. Uh, but yeah, it's a small department. Um, and the, uh, the, the training in that department is, is at the admin's top priority, which I give a shout out to them. They, that is their top priority to have us highly trained. Um, our department is very sought after in this area, in this region. Uh, we have people uh, testing from all different departments to come get hired with us. And it's, uh, it's, if you ask them why they came to our department, probably number one on everyone's list was to get the consistent quality training. That's awesome. So let me, let me ask you this too, size wise. So it's three and one, what kind of staffing do you run and how many guys yeah. do you have? Okay. Yeah. So 69 member department, we have, um, three minimum on every engine, uh, four or more over staff and, uh, four on the truck, uh, minimum and five when we're extremely overstaffed, which just like most departments, it never happens. <laughs> so, you, so it's three on a piece. The truck has three also. No, four. Four. four on the, okay. Four on the truck. You have three engines, three, uh, three on the engines, and four on the truck. So, so what I what I like to hear, in, or what I what I'm hearing is, um, when you're going to work, you're going to work. I mean, you know, you're you're running short-staffed engine companies, and you only got three of them in the city, and then dedicated trucks. So there's a lot of work to be done right away. Yeah, which kind of grew me towards the truck stuff. And, and sure. Um, and I like to say, I, I kind of say this very often. People hear me say it all the time: is we're the only new truck, right? We're on, uh, we're on our own little island because we're just at that size where we can handle like, uh, you know, our, your bread and butter fire yep. out in, in outside mutual aid, sure. automatic aid, we receive automatic aid. But um, so uh, it's been very fun being assigned to that truck company most of my, my career for that reason, because there's just so much work to be done on, you know, on these fires because nobody else is coming to do that work. Yeah. So, so what I, I didn't want to breeze over it because I just wanted to find out that information, but I want to get back to it. So the department sought after because of the culture you have for training and people are looking for a squared away department. And I think the message really is this short staffed, three engines, one truck, everybody's got a lot to do. If you're not well oiled and well trained, you're going to be, you're going to be in a world of crap real quick. Right. So um, I think that's a, a true testament to the, to the, you know, the culture of the department to understand um, the desires and needs of the, of the community and to train hard. Now that's where you come in, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, the truck is doing unlimited and godly amounts of jobs on a fire with a four man truck, right? So you got your operator, you know, you got your chauffeur, you got your, your boss, and then you got two firemen. So 
there's a lot of work to be done. How did you find your way to the truck? I mean, your father, you mentioned your father was an engine guy. Yeah. So how did you find your way to the truck? Oh, I got that hook, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so all through fire school, my dad was like, oh, man, you're going to, you need to be on the engine, you know, the truck, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they, you know, there's no water, you know, they don't put the fire out, you know, you're, it's not as important, you know, he's grooming for the engine. So when I, my first, like, probably, probably uh, really a year, my attitude was that at the department, I'm going to be an engine guy and like, that's it. And, um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, after a year, you're allowed to uh, take classes where the department will pay for it. And and our instance where they only do truck, we're also our, our, our squad or a heavy rescue, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Half the truck is, is TRT stuff. Right. And so to get qualified for that, you have to you have to have all your tech classes. So I was single, you know, surf bum, didn't really have uh, you know much to do off duty. And I was like, hey, you guys are going to pay me to go take these classes or pay, Dang you know. Em not pay me, but for my class. Yeah, so I was of course. Like, yeah, sure. I'll go. And uh, I was, you know, really starting to get into the job at, at this time. And uh, so I took all the class. We had to take like a 40 hour truck off uh, operations class. And then we have to take all our tech classes. And it took me about eight months and I just did it back to back to back. Obviously I ran out of my educational money that they provided and had to spend my own money, my own vacation, time trades and all that. And then, so when I got back with all these certificates, I said, you know, I went to the truck lieutenant. I was like, hey, hey, LT, I, I really like, you know, uh, to start doing some training with you guys and, and basically trying out uh, for it. And he gave me the opportunities and um, he saw how much work I did in the back of the firehouse by myself. You know, sure. I, I didn't want to bother anybody. So I'd go throw ladders by myself. I'm big at like doing air consumptions and he'd see me search around the bay, throw ladders um force uh you know at the time we had a force wintry prop but i would just like we had big two big tires uh that we do for exercise and i'd wedge a halligan bar between these two tires so it holds it at kind of that waist level height and then i would get on one knee and i would just smack the the ads of the the, the halligan off and i was just you know trying to get comfortable you know close my eyes trying to get comfortable hitting the hitting where the where did you get this from like you have, there's drive, right? Like this is, this is always the, the question of the firehouse because everybody brings a different level of drive wants and, and uh, you know, and desires right in the firehouse. And so my, my question to you is, I mean, just you're, you're constantly ready to go and you're always pushing yourself. Right. So can you talk to that a little bit, Eric? Cause I, yeah. I'm curious. I, I think inherently a lot of people have it. Some don't, some can pretend, some can try, but I think you got to have it. What do you, Give yeah. me something on that. I, you know, I could go the easy route and say, you know, oh, it's inherited and stuff like that. But uh, honestly, you know, I, I was extremely scared. And, and again, it's back to um, the pressure that yep. you know, we're obviously about the pressure put on me um, being being Wally's son and <clears throat> wanting to make my own name and, and not let him down. But uh, I, I, I was scared to death to suck at my job, like scared to death. I, I don't know what it was, but it just, it scared me. Like if I went to work and I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with a skill or, or, you know, knowing the streets, knowing the SOGs, like I was extremely nervous and, um, and really it was just, it was fun for me. Like doing yeah. that behind the firehouse was fun for me. So I had that too. It wasn't like, I have to do this. It's, you know, it, it was fun. And I was scared to death to let, you know, let, let the guys down, let myself down, let the citizens down, like all that. Like, I just, I didn't want to suck at my job, <laughs> you know? And, and you know, what's amazing with that is I saw a post you did I, within the last day or two, I think, um, 
on Instagram. I think it was on Instagram, maybe I think it was Instagram where you guys were after training. You were like, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to do some VES for ourselves anyway, because we enjoy it because it's yeah. fun. And I, I sat there and I watched, it was like a two and a half minute video. You pulled a fireman out of a second floor of a ground ladder. Then I think the other guy pulled the dummy out or something. And it was the tempo of it was awesome. And just reading, reading the verbiage underneath it, it just said, we're doing this for fun. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like how many guys get annoyed by training to begin with? And then how many guys want to do it for fun? And I just, that to me just sets off so many bells about how passionate a guy can be about the job and perfecting the craft. And, and so it's a, it's a testament to you, brother. I, I have to tell you, I love it. I love hearing stories like this um, and so on. And I think, you know, maybe it was, maybe, you know, maybe it was a throwback to, to your, uh, your father and not wanting to disappoint and, and suck. But at the end of the day, man, it's your drive. I mean, it's your passion to perfect this craft. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm also somebody who's like all in on stuff, I guess. Right. You know, growing up, um, you know, first I was like big into wakeboarding and it was like, um, I'm, I'm all in on this. Then the surfing really took over and traveling a bunch. I, you know, I lived in Puerto Rico. Like I, I mean, if you look, if you guys could look to my left, I literally have like a dozen surfboards hanging in my garage. Like, yep. you know, I'm all in on that. And then, um, so when I got on the job, it's like, I'm all in, man. It's like, so maybe that has something to do with it too. Like I have that kind of addictive personality you know when you get hooked on something you just you, you just don't want to stop you want all the information and you said it before about you were like when you were making that decision to kind of go to the truck and like started taking those classes that you were like you're in you're get, really getting into the job do you remember was was there something that happened or like a moment of clarity where you just you were like aha like now i'm like this is this is it like and, and it just kind of ignited a spark was it a specific moment or did it just gradually build and then you're like, you're, you're running without even knowing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, um, I think going to that 40 hour truck class, um, which was about midway through all my tech classes, I kind of did a couple tech classes first in that. And then seeing the, the pace of that class. Um, and then that's where I really started diving into like all the fireman stuff, you know, search and ladders and ES. And I had all these like, mm -hmm. you know, bigger than, than you know, anything Orlando guys that, you know, and, and for us, Orlando is a big city department in this area. So, you know, I had all these guys that you would look up to and they're like, you know, they're throwing these 35s, like it was nothing. And just the training's what got me to love the job the way I do. I mean, so winter park, like, so winter park had a very strong training culture, even when you got hired and when you were in your first days. Yeah. So I would say, I would say it, that was starting the birth because when I got hired was when my greatest mentor, uh, Jim Walsh, yep. who was our training captain at the time, had just gotten promoted. In fact, his promotion is what created some of my hire group, right? So, um, and he, it, it, he's the guy who started, or one of the guys who started VinnerSearch.com. Right. So, um, obviously, he had a thing for training. And uh, so I was like that first hire class that he, he, I was his first probie class that he, you know, did our orientation or our probie school. And uh, so that, yeah, it started there. But when I got on the line, um, I had a lot of pushback because in my department, um, there is huge generational gaps. You don't get hired when a parking and we're not a stepping stone, right? For the most part in our area, people want to work for either city of Orlando. And if you want to work for the big city, you go there. If you want to work for the little city, more family oriented, you work for us. We're very comparable. We're, you know, I like to say we're, we're small city with big city uh, tactics and big sure. city heart, right? So, sure. um, and uh, 
So like the last person to leave us uh, for another job actually, who actually went to Orlando, a good buddy of mine just got promoted district chief, is 15 years. We haven't had someone leave our department for another department in 15 years. And um, 69 guys. It's a huge generation. Yeah. So it's a huge generational gap, right? So when I got hired, the, the, the next youngest guy to me, which was my lieutenant, uh, was 11 years older than me. Wow. On, on, on my uh, ship. So when I came in, um, and then I, you know, within a year or so, when I really started like go, go, go kind of mentality, uh, I got a lot of pushback, not like uh, anything really malicious, I think, but it was cool for the, that gen- the, old, the generation prior to me to not be into the job. It was right. cool not to want right. to wear your shirt on a, on a holiday, thing, right? So I was like the, you know, hey kids, slow down, you know, you gotta, it's a marathon, you know, or, or make fun of me. And I was a kid who literally, I would take my phone and I would be like embarrassed that I want to listen to radio, uh, you know, hey, uh, uh, I want to FDNY or I want to watch YouTube videos or I want to be on the social media is trying to learn something. Like I would literally go out in the bay and like if someone was coming by, like a senior guy, I would like drop my phone, like act like nothing happened. I get it. I would get ridiculed so much. And some guys can't take it, right? Some guys can't take that. These young guys that come in and, and if they have that guy that's just beating them down and beating them down, they're not strong enough to mentally enough to, to just push through all that stuff. And, right. and I tell you what, right now, guys, I've had some of those people, and a lot of them have retired out now, but uh, most of those people have come up to me now and said, hey, Eric, I got you know, a lot of respect for what you've done for our department. 100%. The passion you have, and I, it's completely changed. Oh, man, it's the, 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 the culture change that has happened just in the 14 years I've been there has been unreal. And my department was awesome when I first got hired, but I think it's just, it's just even more so now just with now the young blood that comes in and again, now we're young, we're a young department, you know, but the guys that have laid, you're uh, part of the foundation. You're part of that foundation, man. You're part of that foundation. And and I, we get, we get people all the time sending us messages about how um, they struggle in their own departments, whether career volunteer that uh, the upper management or their immediate bosses or even a senior men um, aren't into the job. They don't care for the job. They don't, exactly what you were just talking about. And my message to them consistently is don't let somebody tell you how to love the job. If you're into it, be into it. And you know, it's infectious. It takes time though. You just said what, 14 years or something like that. Yeah. It took a long time. And yeah, I people that all the time. Like, yeah, you just, I would, that's what started me going out back, you know, out back of the firehouse and throwing ladders and searching and dragging the dummy and, running high rise hose up to we have a training tower attached yep. to our station so we're blessed for that a stamp pipe and everything but we I, I you know do stuff like that and eventually you know a guy with five years would come out and then a guy with 10 years i love and that you got the guy here and the 20 year guy may not be putting his gear on and do it with me but he's watching me and then just you know very slowly uh you know just keeps keeps changing and then uh you know guys I'd go to conferences. I got a huge passion. I would travel to conferences all the time and I'd come back and I'd bring something back because that was my duty, right? I went out sometimes on my own dime and time and go learn a new skill or new to our department. So I'd come back and like show the guys and I wasn't trying to be like, Hey guys, look what I know now. Like, oh, it's I, more like, I, look I what I learned. Look at this. I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would show them and they'd be like, Hey, who are you? Who are you to do this? I said, you know, I show maybe how to force a door or something. I just learned from Champ. 
And they're like, oh, what do you know about force and I'm like, well, maybe not me, but Mike Champo knows something about, about force and doors, and he taught me I'm just a messenger, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, and then eventually, you know, guys would catch on, and like, then they would ask me, oh, what'd you learn when you are up in, you know, Indy last week or whatever? Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's, uh, it was a slow, slow process. I took a lot of, a lot of lickings. I still the guys hit me every once in a while but you know it's all really good fun now now it's yeah now it's more ribbing and ball busting than uh you know yeah. than hey kids slow down you know type of thing um I, so let's you mentioned um you mentioned jim walsh who um is a, a big mentor of yours right he was uh the training captain did you say when you At were the time when he retired he uh and, and had his uh, uh stroke he was a, a chief a division chief of training okay yep. let's um yeah, let's let's talk about him for a minute. I think it's important, you know, people people all the time, um, you know, have a, a lot of times people have a mentor in the fire service, you know, somebody that uh, was there that, uh, you know, either gave you that push, maybe that cold shoulder, but the the attaboy when it was needed type thing, you know, mentorship is, is so important. Um, and for you to acknowledge that um, with the career that you've had, um, he must be an incredible guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Jim Walsh has been, I mean, he's probably touched so many people he doesn't even know through the website. Yeah. Definitely, this stuff is all pre-Facebook, too. And, uh, yeah. So, this is, uh, this is what, 2000? When did, when did Venenter Search? So, let's get into it. VenenterSearch.com. Um, let's talk about it, Eric. So, when, do you know when it was started? Yeah, 05. 05. Okay. All right. And that was started by Jim Walsh and uh, yeah, like, it, it was actually like four or five guys that came together. And I, I apologize. I don't know everyone's. No, it's okay. Talk about too much um, because the the two main guys broke away, which was Jim Walsh and Jeff Pond, which were Orlando firemen at the time. And he's since retired and it's like flying helicopters and stuff. He's like a one of the <laughs> rescue guy. Um, yeah, so uh, those two broke away. So the main guys, like if you go to the website, um, on some of the back end of the website, you'll have like the bios of, of Jeff Pons and, and right. Jim Walsh. But uh, yeah, so those guys ran with it. And, you know, I was lucky to get hired with Winter Park and then bam, right into that culture of uh, Venner Search. And, and Venner Search originally started as just a blog, mm -hmm. right? So again, this is pre-Facebook, yeah. uh, pre-any social media. So uh, uh, it was, if you go back in some of these older posts, I mean, there's hundreds of comments on some of these, these posts and um, Jeff and, and Jim would, would write articles um, and then uh, people would submit things and then they would basically doctor up their submission and, and put it out to the fire service as a way to like kind of share information. And it really started locally. Like um, they, they, they were teaching at our local fire academy and, and students were asking them, like, hey, where can we get more information on, you know, how to force a door or something like that? Right. And they're like, well, we don't really have anything, like read a magazine or something. And so that, that was the aha moment for them to get together. Like, hey, let's make a, a, a website that these guys can visit. So it really started locally. And then, of course, it, it, it blew up. And, um, and uh, yeah, now guys um, all over the country have, especially if you've you know, been around since the, the mid-2000s, you, you know, some of the newer guys probably not. But these are, I mean, these are guys that, you know, you, you came. What was that? I was saying it, it's cool to look back now. You, uh, you look back on some of the older posts because it's oh, all yeah. saved, all information. Right. And it's cool to see, you know, some of the older stuff. But Yeah. So you got to be a few, a few years behind these guys, right? So you're yeah, yeah, probably yeah. The, the next class, right, if you will? Yeah. So, no, uh, uh, Walsh, he retired in 17. 
I think it was. 17, yeah. 17, and he had 20 years on. Okay. But so, for you, I mean, that you they were influential to you when yeah. you first came in as that blonde-haired afro surfer <laughs> yeah. with a killer yeah. tan, right? And, yeah. you're, and yeah. you're looking at these guys going like, whoa, what's, what are we doing here, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the influence they had on you had to be tremendous. I mean, not only did you have personal drive, but it takes leadership. I mean, if you came into a culture that wasn't pushing you anyway, yeah. um, you know, then you wouldn't have had that influence. Yeah, and that's where it's cool to have him as my ca training captain because yeah. then I could, I could, you know, quote-unquote nerd out with him, right. and he would accept me for it. Um, yeah. and then, and then, you know, he kind of steered me like, Hey, go, go to fire conferences. You're with the one percenters, like one percenters and love that the top guys that love yep. the job. Yep. And then, so, you know, I would go to, I started going to like the Orlando fire conference and then that grew to Fort Lauderdale fire expo. Then it grew to FDIC and, you know, and you know, my first trip to FDIC, mind blown. And I was like, I'm going back every year. I, I remember just being there <laughs> in a bar shoulder to shoulder with like people from all our country talking Tell shop. And it. I was like, I wasn't, I was no longer embarrassed to love the job. Like when I go to these conferences, I was, I was embarrassed at home. And then I'd come here and it's like every, it was like all, all guys like me. And I was, so it was fun. You know, I had a, a, a good time. I still obviously go to a lot of conferences. And but I, I love, going. I love that, man. You, you just hit on it. Like uh, I, all of us have had the same experience, you know, um, where it's, uh, you know, at, at home, sometimes you feel that you're over the top and then you, get to a conference and you just look around and it's all like-minded people with the same passion and drive. And you're just like, Whoa, I'm not alone. And I, I think that's important to talk about too, for kids coming up in the fire service that have an unbelievable passion for this job. And, and they're, they're looking for a mentor or they're looking for like-minded people that, because they just don't have them locally. Yeah. And now more than ever, you know, you have the ability to seek out and find those people through social and podcasts and, you know, you name it. So it's a uh, Venn or search. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's the, the access is there now. Yeah. So, so how did you get into um, the, the uh, ownership of Venn or search? So, I mean, obviously you were signed, you signed on board right away. You're like, man, I love this. This culture is just for me. This is where I want to be. And then you got wrapped up in it. And, uh, and how do we, how that, how'd that go? Yeah. So, um, well, basically I was, you know, I was, I was attending a lot of conferences and be, starting to become good friends with Jim Walsh, you know, even outside of work. And, uh, you know, I was like, Hey, I, you know, I don't mind helping you with a website. I didn't know crap about website design or, you know, writing articles or anything like that. But I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you out, you know, come up with some ideas for the site and stuff like that. So, He's like, yeah, sure. I, 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 you know, I could use the help. So I, you know, basically was just helping him out, doing some back end of the website stuff. And then he, he kept getting requests to do training and training, more training. Like it started off with just lectures. So right. there was, there was no, there's the intention of the website was never to be training, like going out and teaching or lecture or hot. Like that was never the intention of the site. It was like literally just a blog. So I was just helping him with the blog stuff. And then uh, he started getting all these inquiries about going, going and, and lecturing um, of things that he had learned. And he was big on lecturing for truck company operations and then ultimately leadership. And uh, so, you know, at, at, we started getting some requests for hands-on training. You know, hey, do you guys do hands-on training? And I was like, hey, you know, let's, let's do a class. Like, let's just do it locally and stuff. So um, I want to say it was about 2014-ish is when I, uh, I kind of came in and started helping the back end. And then 2000. 15 uh is when we started doing uh our uh, hot class and i think the first one we did was uh, our water can class 
that nice. I do. And then uh, fast forward about 2017, and uh, he's, he's now a, a, a training uh, chief in our department, and they're at a staff, uh, staff meeting at the firehouse upstairs there, and he suffers a major hemorrhagic stroke on oh, duty, wow. like in the middle of the meeting. Wow. And, you know, we're a transporting fire department, so thank God, because yeah. guys were medics were up there in minutes. We're, yeah. I have two hospitals, basically, in my first due. So hauled ass to the hospital, got him in surgery, and basically the doc said, oh. it's like, it was a seismic orange, his bleed. He's like, if, if you weren't where you were, like, he could have been in his right. office alone, and, and, and the outcome wouldn't have been that. Wow. And so, unfortunately, he had to, uh, you know, he's... He's up walking around, everything's got yeah, um, some deficits, but very minimal stuff. Still yeah. spirits, but unfortunately, he had to retire. Wow. So, uh, crazy thing was a week to the day, we had a meeting, and he uh, he's like, hey, Eric, you know, he was grooming to be the next fire chief in my department. Like, he was going to be the next fire chief. That, that was a given. And he was, uh, he's like, look, I got to focus on this. At the time, I was an engineer, you know, with, with, with you. And he's like, I want you to take the business and run with it. And nice. I was like, God, yeah. It was like a week, and it was a week <laughs> to the day. A week to wow. the day, you know, he had that stroke. So a yeah. lot of people think um, on the outside looking in that I took it over because of the stroke. It was actually already in the works um, a week prior to his stroke. Yeah. Well, he saw a passion in you. I mean, he saw the light flickering. You were ready to run. And I think he knew that, you know, you had the ability to, to do it and take it uh, to the next level too. Um, so you're doing a lot of hands-on now, right? I mean, you yeah. guys seem, seem to be doing a lot. Um, I know it says, uh, what you do, uh, programs at Valencia college, right? In central Florida. Um, and you've done hot training, right? You've done, uh, FDIC. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then on top of that too, you're part of the UL study, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's been awesome. Um, unfortunately so, it's been pretty slow as far as meetings and things like that, but it's, that's in Philly, yeah. right? They're yeah. doing it in Philly. Yeah. Delaware County. Okay. Yeah. So we're uh, wrapping okay. up. The experiment. In fact, they had a they had uh, two experiments today, or a, a one experiment today. Um, I believe by next week we're wrapping up with tw our twentieth uh, experiment. Wow. So yeah, the, we're basically start building out all the all all the data to put out to the fire service. You Can know? you hit on it a little bit? Talk I about mean, what, what what the what studies like in that experiment like? Because like I think experiment, I think like. I got beakers and an ice bath and a Bunsen yeah. burner going over here, yeah. like safety goggles on, yeah. Yeah. a little Breaking Bad, but like how, because this stuff is like pretty cutting edge what you're doing, so. Yeah, this has been, uh, obviously this is the first study I'm involved with. You can only do like one or two, you can only be on the panel for one or two experimental series. So um, I've been told by the UL guys that this is the most realistic homes uh, that we're burning in for our experiments that UL has ever built. I'm talking about guys, the HVAC is working. There's, uh, there's, there's electricity in there, there's carpet, there's paint, there's TVs, there's brand new appliances in these houses, right? They light the, the fire where, when we'll get into some of the scenarios. And then in two and a half days, they have a contractor on site that completely guts this place and redoes everything. They have Connex boxes full of brand new furniture, brand new appliances. They get the HVAC working again and, and, and paint the walls. I mean, it looks brand new every time we start an experiment. So um, that's been awesome. So our study is on, um, it's the first study solely focused on uh, victims uh, victims, you know, victim survivability and, and specifically 
how we're searching for the victims and how we're removing them from the structure. So uh, what we're doing is uh, our, our group, our, our, our panel was, ta uh, was you know, given the job to go record time to task. So we basically, I went to my department, we found an acquired structure. We, we didn't talk about this in my department, but we actually have a lot of vacants where we get to do a lot of acquired structure training. So I found a house that was very similar to the house that we designed for these experiments. And I put my whole department through a search, uh, basically search time to task. And I was timing them on forceful entry, I was timing on one, one room VES, on oriented search, on split search. And then so we turned in all the data and, and then that was basically times they're using to um, do these drills. So if it took us, say, uh, I don't know the number, but say it took 30 seconds from, once you clear a window, it took 30 seconds to get there, taking the window and closing the door in these experiments. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. But uh, a lot of people ask, are we actually taking what quote unquote people understand this is some of these previous experiences as victim packages. So it's these simulated victims that have, you know, a multitude of, 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 of uh, instrumentation you know, heat flux and, and, and gas concentrations, blah, blah, blah. Are we actually taking these, these victim packages and moving them throughout the building? Do we actually have people physically searching the building? The answer is no. And the reason why, and of course, we all wanted that when we're at the meeting, the original meeting, we're like, we want guys searching, we want victim drags moving, like our victim packages right. moving. UL, you know, they're obviously you know, had their, their opinion about that. They're like, look, if we do that, we can only take, take a, a, a readings from one search style and one removal style at a time. So what they've done is they've planted instrumentation throughout the house, down the hallway every, uh, every so often, you know, I say every three or four feet, I can't remember the exact, and then one foot level and the three foot level. Because the other thing we were discussing is, is it better to drag somebody with their head on the floor level or is it better to kind of pick them up right you know get your arms under their shoulders their shoulders and have them at three foot level um when we're doing a window removal you know and, and we're just flopping them on the window and they're at that window site uh still height for a certain amount of time eating all that smoke while we're grab waiting for a ladder or something like that is that better for them or should we just keep them at that one foot level and we have sensors at all these locations so now when we run a certain experiment say we have a living room fire we can do two room VS, you know, you know uh, uh, VS uh, in one room, a VS in another room. Hey, this guy decided not to close the door. This guy did. And then um, also a primary at the same time with one fire. So it makes it a lot easier. And, and the plan, the build out, which I'm, I'm most excited for, and I really hope this happens, is it'll be a really like a choose your own adventure when, you, when they build the site out. So <laughs> you'll look at the fire, right? You'll look at the house fire and be like, I'm going to VES that. And then you go, I'm going to VES the Charlie side. So you go around the Charlie side. Now you got two windows to choose from. Uh, that window looks good. I'm going to VES that. Now I jumped in. Um, I decided to, uh, to not close the door. Now you're going to see there's a victim on the bed. Now you're going to see what's going to happen if you didn't close the door. Or if you're a slower searcher and um, you took you know, X amount of time, you choose your time, you're going to see what happens. Or maybe you started a primary. I'm somebody who's always going to pick somebody up and, and drag them at that three foot level. And right. I think I'm this fast. And you're going to get to see, you're going to look like, hopefully you'll be able to slide something down the hallway that you know, shows what's your victim being exposed to. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. I can't wait. It's pretty wild. It what I like about it's it is be... you're 
yeah. you're truly packaging all the information because I, and it's not you well, I think there, there have been people in the past who have picked certain aspects of certain studies to harp on. And then they're like, I got a drum. Now I can beat this as loud as I want. And I just, I love when you said choose your own adventure, it brought me back to being a kid and having those books where I would like go to page 62 and, you know, you found the dragon dead, like kind of thing, you know, kind of, so like that's, that's, that's going to be, I can't wait to see the information. Yeah. And it's, it's, we're doing, we're getting readings, um, uh, pre-extinguishment, uh, or I should say pre-suppression during suppression and post-suppression. So if you're like a truck company that, you know, we're at a double house. So if, if I get a fire in my first due, my job is to get in front of that engine company, direct the engine and, and take care of the fire and basically search my way back. Well, now I have data that I can see what's all happening with, with wherever victim location that I want to choose, yeah. um, what's happening. Or maybe I'm a department that has to search behind a hose line. So now you get to see what's going to happen with that delay in getting the search um, done. So how many, you know, how long has this been going on for Eric? Oh, uh, the, the actual physical experiments or how long has, has, no, I mean, you know, you know you, this has obviously been, you know, quite a long time from inception to, yeah, you know, um, practicality. Eight, eight, 19, was it 19 or 18? Okay. Uh, yeah, it was our kickoff meeting. I right. again, COVID's kind of slowed everything down. This right. this is. You know, How many uh, fires have they done? Um, they're they're probably around that seventeen eighteen experiment. Um, That's wild. We're, we're capping out at twenty. Because I'm thinking twenty fires, right? In in the same, it's the same structure, right? Two, there's two structures, but they're identical, correct? Identical. Yep. Right. So you're you're taking uh, twenty fires and using different variables for victim survivability. And you're gonna, the amount of information that's going to be compiled oh, from that is just right. unbelievable. I've, right? only talked, I've only talked about the victim stuff, but part right. of our study is also size up. So there's a guy, all, every burn that's doing a 360 with a GoPro on a gimbal, and he's sitting there the entire time during the entire uh, uh, <coughs> experiment, and he's doing a 360 the whole time. And then obviously there's stationary cameras everywhere. Um, so we're also going to talk about size up stuff, you know, so. Wow. This has to be a, I, I have to think this is the highlight of in your career or one of many highlights in your career. I'm yeah, sure. For sure. For sure. I'm, I'm very proud to be part of this and it was awesome being selected and, you know, representing my department in, in Florida. And I'm extremely uh, happy. What has there been a, a moment in this that you've just like, I don't know. It's just been like, this is the, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Or like, you know, just kind of, you couldn't like really put the words what was going on, but you're just like, this is cool. During the experiments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm, I was actually extremely surprised at how big they, they let the fires get. So I'm talking about like out of four windows in a ranch house. Oh, I like saw it. some of the, I saw some of the yeah. footage. So that yeah. was first, first, like, Holy crap. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, they let it go. And then, um, I think to tease, because uh, obviously I don't have any data in front of me, and they haven't released any any, any you know, official data. But um, we thought door control was important already, especially the close before you doze campaign. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's going to be even more important according to this study. I think you guys are going to see that door control. I you know I think everyone's already kind of on that page where hey, door is pretty important. Right. But, uh, I'm starting to see how how important that was a 
like not you know i that that's my job as a, a interior searcher is to close the door like that's what we do so i i get that concept but like to actually see it now in a in an experiment and see it multiple times and how important it is i mean it's very significant to um, get that door closed as soon as we create that vent like as yeah this is the side-by-sides are going to be incredible to be able yeah. to watch the side-by-sides of if you do if you don't right because what I love is we, we all learn by, by seeing, right? I mean, a lot of people read to learn. I'm a visual guy, right? I'm an audio visual guy. And to be able to see that and then, you know, it takes the argument out of it. Like Rob was saying before, there, there have been other studies where people like to beat their chest and say, this is the only way to do it because we've done this. Now you have the ability such, through such a thorough testing to say, we know survivability is here if you do X, Y, and Z versus down here. And so we suggest that you look at your practices and your, your guidelines and, and uh, procedures and to be sure that you're giving the victim the best chance for survival because you've tested for that. Yeah, and I just think that, you know, when you're out discussing, say, BES with people, and, the, the, you know, one question we always get asked is, if you dive in a window and then on your way to the door, so, right, doors are typically straight across from the windows, and on your way you hit a victim, is it better to just abandon the door? Say the door's open. Abandon right. the door and, and go back to your window and drag this victim there? Or is it better to bypass that victim, you know, uh, may or may not sweep the hallway at this point and then close the door and then go back and handle that? I think you might see more of a clear-cut answer um, with some of this stuff, you know, barring like maybe a small child that you could just sure. out the your, window. get out with, with and you're on one story, you know, stuff like that. But you're going to see where that door is huge. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. So you hit on something there too. I mean, obviously the name of the, the site in your training company, Venator Search. Let's talk about the stigma of VES a little yeah. bit, right? Oh, yeah. um, you All know, right. this is, what's that, Rob? <laughs> I'm just, I'm getting my seatbelt on. because yeah, well, uh, I mean, you know, because, belt sign here. you know, for <laughs> me, for me, it's a non-issue, right? Yeah. Um, the, the thing is though, in my department, based on staffing, uh, VES truly is not a primary function um, just based on how we operate um, due to staffing and a few other things. We can typically make searches done through, through via the interior because most of it is residential structure fires. Um, and we have the square footage in my area where you can typically make it. The homes are big enough. You're not talking, um, you know, smaller row frames or something like that where, you know, your egress is always cut off and what have you. So, but Anyway, to get away from that, where I'm going with this, there's this incredible stigma of VES, and then there's VEIS, and then there's, you know, this, this point of view, that point of view, and so on. Um, how, an, in a department like yours with a four-man truck, and you're the only truck in the city, is VES a, uh, do you have a VES firefighter, an OV? Oh, yeah. Or, okay, so can you talk about the, I guess where I'm asking you to go, I mean, this is your, this is right in your wheelhouse, brother. So, yeah. you know, lay, lay it out for me a little bit. I mean, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, so I guess to kind of explain how, how I was brought up on how we perform BS, and I think you're going to see it's a bit unique um, than, than most departments. Um, we feel it's definitely safe, um, you know, the, you know uh, uh, searching beyond the fire, you know, without the protection of a hose line. You know, those things, to me, sound sketchier than diving through a, you know, window in a room that's 10 by 12, uh, creating my own egress and, and closing a door. And in fact, by the time you close the door, you turn around and tell people sometimes these rooms you jump in are going to be kind of boring to search. It's like, right. it, 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 
smoke gets sucked out so quick. Well, um, so what we have to do with the only new truck is I always, I wish I'd come up with a word for it, but it's, and it's what really gravitated me towards uh, wanting to be on the outside team, even before we had the tiller, because of course just tillering is fun, but uh, before we had our tiller uh, was the, that one, I got to work away from the officer, right? So yeah. I was a self thinker. Um, I really enjoy that. And then two uh, is I had to break down the priorities in my head because we're the only new truck. So there wasn't, uh, um, yes, we have very um, strict SOGs, strict as in, you know, they're, they're fairly detailed, especially for a city my size, um, but we can call audibles all day long. That, that's fine. No, no one's going to get in trouble for that, you know. But um, what we would do is when we get on, on, on a scene, you have to come off the truck as an outside team member, which we would have up two. Um, we do the traditional four-person truck where two are on the outside, two are on the inside. So um, officer and the fireman, irons, we call them the irons position, are going to do the primary search, typically from the front door. And then our outside guys are going to come off. Both of them are going to be thinking DES. Um, because we're the only truck, our mindset is that we want to flood the building with as many searching firemen as possible. If that, for whatever reason, is not going to happen, they're going to go down the next priority list. Uh, excuse me, the next ticket on their priority, which may be to get on the roof. Um, more often than not, we're not going to get on the roof because, again, we, we have limited, uh, you know, truck, uh, re, uh, just the only truck there. So let's say they come off, uh, and this is where I think it gets unique with our department, is they come off and they decide we are going to do a VES. This, this building is calling us to do a VES. And what they'll do is I call it one and one So we'll have our uh, tillerman, uh, and the tractor driver find that fire room. They're going to go to the two adjacent rooms or, or whatever room is ideal. And this is, of course, if we're not showing up and, you know, have that target search, someone is in this room. Sure, I get it. And what yeah. they'll do is they'll dive into separate rooms by themselves. And this is where I think it's unique that at least how it's kind of taught around the country is um, we'll search individual rooms, come out, and then work around the building like that. Uh, whereas traditionally, uh, uh, with a staffing of that level, you would have the two kind of tagged together. Right. And one person would dive in, and the other one would stay at the windowsill with a tick or something guiding them. And our thought is, hey, I don't need someone looking at a three-by-three three screen at a windowsill in a 10-by-11 room. I need bodies in this house, so we much rather have our person there. Two things come up, usually safety-wise, is isn't it um, – working by yourself and isn't it nice to have somebody at that window sill if you found a victim and i would wholeheartedly agree that it would be nice to have someone at that window sill but i also would like to have somebody on the inside to perform a window lift for me because if you've ever done a window lift it's very challenging okay um, 100%. so you know what our our, our uh, yeah our process on that is if you find a victim i'm gonna shout at you hey jeremy you know maybe you're sweeping the hallway and i just came out i got i I got a victim, come come down the hall, come help me with the window lift. We'll flop the victim out, and then guess what? There's plenty of people outside, at least in my cars, they're dying to do work. You got, you know, Ritz, you have the safety officer, hell, you got the chief, you got somebody there that listen, that people are coming to, people you know, are coming up that ground ladder to help you do a victim removal all day long. There's yeah. there's people yeah. there. And even, yeah. if it's, even if it's a one story, you know, so um, uh, that's how we get around that. And then as far as the other safety thing about working by yourself. 
is we try to stay on the same side of the building together and then say, if I, if I come out of my room and Jeremy, you, you drove in the other one, before I grab my ladder, if it's two story and move to the other side of the building, if you're not out yet, I'm gonna scurry up your ladder. Right. Hey man, where you at? Oh, I'm in the master, I got some hoarding conditions. Okay, hey dude, I'm gonna run down to the next, uh, to the Delta side. All right, yeah. I'm coming out right now, you know? So we kind of keep track of each other like that. And, um, again, but I just, also, Eric, I also think- yeah, it makes sense. But I also think, too, that we get so lost in not having a real conversation about firefighting. You know how much of it is done solo? Yeah. I oh. mean, this, 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 you know, I mean, this conversation that we teach, we teach probies the, the two-man method on everything. And yeah. it's in, in, in reality. Yeah, and in reality, I mean, I, it's very rare. I mean, God, how many times you've been on a line by yourself? Dude, yeah. you know? Well, three three-person engine company. The nozzle is by himself, and the officer is That's in right. charge from the nozzle to the front door. I mean, you're right. you're on your yeah. you're connected by a vehicle cord, but you know you you guys are working by yourself, you know, the but whole time. And it's a real conversation that I think we gloss over. Yeah. And so for you guys, and I think it is unique because I can't tell you, you know, sitting here chatting with you, I'm thinking about it in my own world and the departments that do uh, VES on a regular, like you guys do. But to have you know to see two ground ladders get thrown on adjoining windows or different rooms on the same side and two guys scurry up, two guys clear the glass, clear the sash and make entry and do simultaneous VES. I don't think that's the norm in a lot of places. I really don't. It's not. And, and uh, you know, talk about working by ourselves, you know, oftentimes our interior crew will split search. You know, one will go. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. And you know, I have, I have a, some of, some of my areas, extremely large homes, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily do it on all structures, but you know, we have our shotgun shacks that are 800,000 square foot, right, right, right down from our firehouse. Those are, those are split short searches in under our four minute benchmark in, in no time. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I think it is unique. It, it's worked for us. Um, and uh, I think once I explain it to people uh, on paper, it sounds real dramatic and scary. And, and once I say, you know, Hey, we're creating our own egress. You're in a 10 by 12 room. You know, it's, uh, you, you check on your, 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 your partner before you fully go on to the other side of the building. You know, it's nice to have somebody on the inside too. Like people usually give me an aha. Okay. Yeah, I get that. So, you know, but with, with anything in this industry, it takes years and years for people to, um, understand it, respect it. And then it becomes standard practice, right? where you guys have been leading the charge and been doing this for years and years. This is foreign to somebody else somewhere else in the country for sure. Yeah. Well, even, so. even talking about like aggressive truck culture and like that four man truck and having like, just when you, cause I'm, I'm thinking about what we do at work and I'm thinking about what happens in Hyattsville. And then I'm like, kind of like, and that's where I'm like, you know, all right, these are my personal experiences let me compare them to what Eric's describing. Like it's that aggressive truck culture. It's, you know, like when you said putting as many firefighters in the building to search, that's just a, as a home run. I'm stealing your line, Jeremy, but like, it's just, it's that people, there's so many people that don't have that push and that burn behind them to get in there and, and do the, and do the work that needs to be done. And I think sometimes too, it's like you, you have a, a set of SOPs and you, like you said it, and I, I wrote it down, like you guys call audibles often, but it's the fact that you are allowed to call those audibles, your officers and your staff, your command staff trust you guys to do that. And it's, a, there's a plan in place so that you can actually 
you know, get that all accomplished. It's just, it's, it's good, good work, you know? Yeah. And that, that's through that training, uh, yeah. the training culture in the department, right? So the chiefs see how we, you know, I tell you, we have a lot of vacants in the city. So we, uh, you know, we often get to play in these vacants. And uh, so the chiefs get to show up at these training events and they see the guys run into the back, jumping hedges with ladders and, and, you know, diving these windows fast and getting a primary knocked out and, and under our four minute benchmark. And I mean, it's, they get to see the guys work. So when, when the building's on fire, you know, for some of these guys, it's, it, the fires feel like training, yeah. you know, you, you, yeah. you drill so much, so much and so much of these real houses that when you get to a fire, it's like the fire is done and everyone kind of is like, you know, you know, the tailboard talk and, and it's like, it's, everyone's just like, man, it felt like that training we just did last week. Like, you know, you get so, you know, focus into what you've been drilling on for years and years. It, and it's years essentially and, uh, the definition yeah. of, uh, train like you fight, fight like you train. Yeah. And I mean, really, because then I, I, I have another realm outside of the fire service where I'm an instructor and there's often times where people are doing things and I'm like, that's not how you're going to do it in real life. So why are you doing it here? You know, and that's good stuff. The other thing too, though, and we, we can't breeze over this is the fact that uh, search culture is not the most common thing in this world where you would believe in the fire service, search is our number one priority, right? Life. And yet on the fire ground, how often does search become the second, third or fourth task at hand? Um, and, you know, you can argue it. Yeah. Put, get water on the fire. Problem starts to diminish, right? Everything gets a little bit better, right? Not going to disagree with that, but search company line. Yeah. But think about it though. Search culture in and of itself is not the most common thing everywhere. I mean, there's departments that put search down the line of, of priorities based on staffing, no? Yeah, no, I, in my travels, I definitely agree with that. And guys got to realize, uh, you know, what, what size department I'm working for. Although small, remember we're small in areas as well. So we're right on top of each other. So for, for, we call it the parade. I mean, because when I turn out of my firehouse, there's like six pieces pulling out. Like it's, you know, as far as the chiefs and our medic unit and all that, and we literally parade the fire and everybody's on scene right there. The other two firehouses are getting there with, you know, a minute. Yeah. And so uh, we flood the, the, the fires with 19 to 23 people, you know, within four or five minutes. So, you know, I, we are blessed in that case where I don't really have to make that decision. You know, should we apply water first or should we do a search first? It just all kind of happens together. No, I get it, man. Bread and butter for sure. All right. Let's, um, let's change direction a little bit, man. We talked about your career, we talked about Venenter search. We talked about the UL studies. Um, I know from following you on Instagram uh, how involved you are with your family and how important your family is to you. Um, I know you mentioned surfing, but I think, uh, I, I don't know which one trumps which, but I got to say just for your wife, if she ever listens, <laughs> obviously family trumps the, yeah. uh, the surfing. But um, talk about family a little bit. I, I, just how important that is to you, because I know I see it. Um, you are an absolute family man, and and you have uh, beautiful children. And you know you don't need to get into the details, but just how important is the is your family influence on you as a person, and how that reflects back to your you know uh, mentality and and how you carry yourself in a firehouse. Yeah, uh, I'm just as I said earlier, I'm all in, right? Yeah, so I'm an all in guy. Um, when it comes to family, uh, especially my kids, I'm all in. Uh, un unfortunately, that's been a detriment to uh, or my earlier year, my earlier career years with my wife, because again, I was all in the fire department and you know didn't spend too much time at home. But I get it. Kids come, along, 
as soon as t kids came along, that that completely changed. And you know, I try to be a good example for them. In fact, I up and moved out of the Orlando area about four years ago, and you know, moved you know where I live now on the, by the coast um, because it fit our lifestyle better. And it was basically a uh, a nice decompression when I come over the bridge to go home, and it's just kind of uh, I'm really relaxed over here. We do so much stuff outside as a family. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, we're Florida, living by the coast, you know, we're always outside. And uh, I try to be a very good example for, for my kids. You know, I try to work hard. Um, you know, we, uh, we try to spend time together. And, um, you know, be, but because of the fire service, you know, I, I have the family I have as well. You know, it's basically how I met my wife. <laughs> well, that's where I wanted to go with this, right? So you might as well hop in. I mean, you know, you, you, <laughs> You know, it, right when we when we do the podcast, we always ask everybody, you know, just for like a quick pedigree, you know, some bullet points and a couple things to go off of. And I love how one of your bullet points, your fourth one down, it says married one of our battalion chief's daughters in 2011. That's fantastic. I, so I'd love to know this this tan surfer boy in the firehouse, right? Like, I mean, let's let's hear it. Is there a story behind it or what? Yeah. No, there definitely is. So I actually <laughs> met my wife when, because uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, our families would all get together. You know, 69-member department is a very small family-knit sure. department, right? So every weekend during the summer is, you know, all, all our, you know, dads would take take the families to, to the island. We'd take a boat out to the islands and hang out. Well, this battalion chief was actually my dad's battalion, um, at the time. And, uh, you know, he, he had five or excuse me, five kids and, and, and one of them, the oldest being my wife. And, uh, we we're about two years uh, apart. So when I'm like 16, you know, you're not looking at, you know, something like that. I'm in high school, you know? And, uh, uh when the, uh, when our parents would always get together for like more of an adult party during the holidays and stuff, you know, the, the parents would get together like, Oh, you know, it'd be funny if our kids ever grew up, you know, dating and stuff like that. And as we got older <laughs> in high school and everything, I'm, I'm coming home and be like, Oh my God, her daughter is so beautiful. You know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm into surfing, whatever. And, uh, so I had a, a pretty steady girlfriend right when I got on the job and we had just broke up and I had, I was working overtime. So I was working with, with this battalion and I mean, we're good buddies. He, he lives sure, an hour, sure. a, a mile away from, me. I just had a beer with him for dinner now, but, uh, nice. he, uh, he's like, you know what? You can always meet my daughter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we're all back at the firehouse and he threw the offer up there. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take you up on that. And, uh, yeah, so we just connected again. And then uh, yeah, we obviously had met years prior and, and hung out a little bit here and there. And, uh, yeah, just started dating and then uh, eventually got married. And, and you know, uh, I worked with his battalion. He, he retired uh, about the same time as my dad, but he had 36 years on. My dad at 31. Wow. And, um, you know, so I got to work with him about the last 10 years of his career as well. Um, so that was cool. And, you know, it, it was awkward at first you know but uh you know once you get the i got the gnome really well it's he's uh, again I, I love my father he's a good guy what uh you you mentioned surfing a lot and like that's a big thing and but like so honest question like it's been in my in the back of my mind has has surfing crossover into your career as a fire like are there lessons that you got from surfing? because I, I know i know nothing about surfing rob it's, you're not a surfer are you kidding like you <laughs> You look like, I mean, come on, man. I, I was, there, there's waves up there. Yeah. Oh, there's great waves here, man. Jersey Shore, waves. man. <laughs> Enough. But, uh, you know, like, are there lessons that, like, you, you can take from surfing and, like, relate them to the fire service? And, and how? 
big time. Um, obviously, the obvious ones just it's an athletic sport, so just being you know um, athletic in the job uh, definitely helps. The endurance because you know some of these waves that we surf, they're big, they're gnarly, they're, there's a lot of water moving, and you're surfing for four hours, you're paddling all for four hours. So you know, kind of breeze over the fit, physical fitness. I think the mentality of it though is it's the uh, I really got to learn uh, hyper awareness when you surf. You have to be extremely uh, aware of your surroundings. You have to literally connect to the ocean um, and feel where the wave is going to break, where you need to paddle. Um, if it's a crowded spot, you're kind of jockeying for the wave. So you you try to come up with these little um, uh, cues to cue you where the wave's going to be. And I really feel, and I, was, I, I thought about this a lot because I, being part of that outside truck uh, for this only new truck, that I talk about, you have to be kind of hyper aware of your surrounding. You have to be very, um, you can't be um, blindfolded by, by fire. You have to kind of take it all in. And I, I'm like, man, where did I kind of learn how to, how to not only, you know, be decent at it, but, but actually enjoy that. And I, I really think it's from surfing. Like, I just, I think you're just hyper aware. Um, you're, uh, you're on edge a lot. You know, some of these ways are pretty scary. So you have that fear and how to conquer that fear. You know, same thing with, with maybe you're on a scary job and, and you conquer that fear and just that, that type of mindset. So, yeah, I, I'd say the biggest thing I learned was, was the hyper-awareness. Yeah. Just, As a follow-up, has there well, been, uh, I mean, like, and, and if you're not comfortable talking about any of this, just it's fine. Um, has there been a time in the ocean where you've been like, oh, shit, and oh, then, yeah. like, have you been, like, have you ever related it back to the fire ground and been like, oh, wow. Like, oh, yeah. So, um, and the other thing, too, and you bring up a good point, is, you know, when you're, you think you're going to drown, you have to, you have to kind of calm down. You're getting thrashed like a washing machine underwater. You're hitting a reef, maybe. You're getting held under by multiple waves. You have to kind of calm down and, and calm your heart rate down. And you're in, uh, obviously not your breathing, but in the fire ground, you're breathing. But, um, and, and really try to mellow out and just let, let it happen uh, and not panic. You do not want to panic. Um, sometimes you get so disoriented uh, underwater, you, you're swimming and you're swimming and, you, and your leash is pulled taut and you think you're swimming, uh, you think you're swimming up and you actually hit the bottom. That's like the freakiest thing ever. Cause now you're like, Oh my God, how deep did I swim? And yeah. you know, now you gotta have to jump off the bottom. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a, uh, I had a fire once in, uh, it was in our, 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 uh, automatic aid, uh, district. We used to be my North borders, um, my North borders truck company before they got their own. <clears throat> and it was in their kind of district. And we, uh, I was with a very senior truck lieutenant at the time and I was his iron seat. And we're, uh, we're in there doing a search slash pulling some ceiling for the engine. And I kind of go into this room and I pull, I pull ceiling down and the roof, the whole back of the house blew out and the roof slams down and does like a, uh, a, uh, a, a lean-to collapse, right? And throws me into the corner. There's fire all around me. My helmet just kind of like blows off my head. And uh, uh, I, I just remember that was, you know, been probably the scariest moment uh, as, as far as an instant I was involved with, sure. it got kind of got shooken up and it actually reminded me of being underwater, right? Cause I, I got knocked down. I was disoriented. 
Um, you know, I had some fire around me. The lieutenant yelled at the engine to basically squirt some water in my direction, and he crawled into this uh, little cavity. He was able to kind of maneuver a little bit and back me out, and 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 you know, got out fine, and er everything was fine. But uh, you know, just staying. I remember like being in there for you know, it's probably seconds, but it felt longer, and just kind of staying calm, and and just I could hear him yell and and, and to the engine, and and kind of Eric, are you all right? And so you know, kind of gave me a little bit of relief, but you know, keeping that when you get in this bad situation, I've been in so many times in the water and uh, I was able to stay calm and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a good point that you bring up. No, I, I, I find, cause I, I am petrified of drowning. Yeah. I don't go like, like lakes and rivers uh, in the Northeast. I don't go swimming them. Cause like, you know, I mean, I, I will go in the water, but like, it just freaks me out that I can't see the bottom, you know, like, but if I go on a cruise in the Caribbean, I see blue water and I can see the bottom. I'm like, I'm jumping in. It's all right. Yeah, might have uh, might have something to do with the 15 mai tais you had on the cruise ship before you got off. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeremy. Yeah, when I'm on a cruise ship, I'm like you. I'm one of the most responsible ones. That's right. Always, always. No, well, I, yeah. No, so listen, says. Um, come on. But seriously, that's uh, like drowning is like, and, and when you're describing getting thrashed around, slammed against a reef, swimming down like that disorientation. I mean, my anxiety is going up, but like, I, there's a part of me that wants to be like, all right, Eric, I'm coming to Florida, take me surfing. Um, just because yeah. <laughs> I want to like, it, like just to, for the experience of it, you know, if, if it's something that can, we can relate to the fire service and we can kind of gain, gain some hyper awareness. Like that's what an awesome skill to, cause you, you can't, you can't go light buildings on fire. It's called arson. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and then go to your own fires and be like, Oh, well, I'm getting all this training. And then depending where you are, your training might be limited to a bale of hay and a half a pallet. So how do you figure, figure this stuff out? So there's gotta be another way to bring your awareness up. Nice. All right. So listen, I know um, we've been, we've been going and going and we're hitting some good stuff. I want to talk about real quick before we wrap this thing up. Um, I know that you're an apparatus guy. You mentioned uh, the importance of the tiller and uh, where you are And tillers in Florida. I don't think are the most common, let alone in your area for sure. Um, and so talk about that because obviously you were influential in, um, apparatus specking and, uh, designing an apparatus that serves your community well, and we're apparatus guys. And so that's why I thought we'd wrap on, on this conversation because this is, you know, I mean, we nerd out on trucks as well. Uh, I've been on a lot of committees also and so on. And I just, you know, I'm interested to hear your take. I know winter park is a unique setup with the can tree canopies right? Which adds to the reason uh, for some of the things you did. So um, would you mind, let's, let's hop into that for like five, 10 minutes here and just talk about why and, and how, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were the uh, first department in, in Central Florida. And I couldn't even tell you how long um, to have a tillered apparatus. Um, there's only five departments in the state uh, currently that there's, I think there's two on order that have one. Uh, we actually have two. We have a, a, a front one Pierce and a backup KME. Um, and basically what we, what we used to have, I guess I'll start with that is a, uh, Pierce, uh, you know, traditional heavy duty rear mount, uh, um, aerial tower, uh, rear mount bucket there. And it was getting damaged heavily, um, driving through our old city streets. Uh, like you said, we have a small, or excuse me, a low ca tree canopy. So we were constantly doing bucket damage. In fact, the last uh, last time I cut, it took me an hour to cut the bucket out of a tree, and it was like thirty three thousand dollars of damage in the bucket. 
Uh, we would, uh, you know, the tail swing on those things. We would right. tail swing, uh, you know, down our tight shoes and can open our cars and wouldn't even know it. Um, so, you know, and, and the lack of compartment space in these vehicles. So, uh, like I said, we're the only truck in the city, which means we're also the only, only special ops in the city. So we wanted a vehicle that not only could maneuver through the city well, but offer more for the citizens being the, the technical rescue side of things. Sure. So obviously a tiller was an obvious choice. Uh, we lost a foot of ride height with the tiller. So tree canopy is not, uh, no longer an issue. Obviously the maneuverability, I don't have to speak of that. The compartment space, I think we went from like 160 uh, cubic feet to 490. Yeah, um, night and we're, day. We're with a tiller that had more compartment space. Yeah, we had to have more compartment space than ground ladders. So I have 188 feet of ground ladders, <laughs> which you know, for my area of the country is definitely respectable. Um, and because we needed to opt for the more compartment space. So uh, the uniqueness of the vehicle though, because we have seat assignments and ride assignments, we wanted a, a vehicle that when you get to a certain call, you do not have to go very far to grab your equipment. For an example, the, the officer and the orange firefighter, the only compartment they need to, to grab um, a tools out of for a automatic fire alarm to a high rise fire is the track through the lock tools their force of entry tools, their, their rabbit tool, their water can hooks, all that is all right there. What's cool. One of my favorite, two favorite compartments in the truck was the tractor driver and Tillman's uh, uh, compartments. And those were in the back uh, roll up compartments <clears throat> last before the ladder tunnel. And that's their personal gear, their hand tools, spare air, air cylinders. They each had their own thermal imager. And basically the, the thought process behind that is that the obviously the tillman would walk down, the tractor driver would run down the, the trailer and they'd meet in the back. And as they're throwing on their air pack and obviously their ladders and hooks are come out the rear of the truck, they could size up the building. Hey right. man, I'm gonna go right, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll go left. You know, hey, I'll, I'm gonna hit um, the rear door on this one. Or hey, I'm gonna BS that window right there. And they, as they're getting dressed, they're communicating and coming up with that game plan and, and splitting the duties up right there before they even break from the truck. And those are the only three compartments they need to grab from is, is the two drivers and the, and the very rear where the ground ladders are kept. Um, and then also the driver side is all technical rescue related equipment and all the officer side is all fire related equipment. So we have like a salvage compartment, forcible entry, right. spare extinguishers. Uh, saws, all that, and then, you know, lift bags, cribbing, hydraulics, confined space, blah, blah, blah. And for auto accidents, we'll crab the trailer over, block the auto, uh, the, uh, auto accident scene, and um, anything I need to cut somebody out of a car is on is that there. driver's side. So I yep. never have to walk to the danger side yep. to cut anybody out of a car, right? It's all right there inside that safety cone. Um, and, and that now detailed spec has uh, has transferred over to our engine companies nice so let's so all right so let's talk about the spec process real quick right so you as an officer um a lieutenant right did you have the did you get the truck under your tutelage as a lieutenant or no so i was a fireman when we got the tiller so okay. uh, and our firemen are our tiller operators they rotate driving the front and the back but we have engineer positions so is that a promotional uh, is that a promotional position are correct yeah. yeah so the firemen basically rotate the fireman seat the iron seat um i should call it the tiller uh you know tillering and tractor so they rotate kind of those three seats and the engineer rotates the two so that okay. way everyone's really proficient at driving both ends and so so yeah so i and was so, uh, 
I, I wasn't part of the original spec of getting the vehicle there, but once it got there, the loose equipment part, you know, I was heavily involved with that. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you the process, how important in the process, I mean, in a department where, um, the training culture is so important and hands-on. Um, I have to think that kind of in the same regards to designing apparatus for form, fit, and function of what you guys want to do and how you operate to put together a spec committee is hopefully I would think in a department like that was made up of representation from across the board. Oh yeah. Yeah. From yeah. All, all ranks. Yep. Yeah. And it, that just speaks volumes because I mean, that's how you get a functional apparatus. You know, so many of these departments have these uh, committees that are, you know, just don't uh, have equal representation across the board. And, and then what they end up with is, is something that is just non-functional for them. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's an important concept in the specking. And then the equipment layout, you know, to be able to have a say in that, super important. <clears throat> so, all right, cool. And then the engine companies, you mentioned, all right, so talk about that for a minute, right? The engine companies, this- Driver's so side the, ladder. Yeah, right? Driver's side ladder, um, ladder compliment. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, we have uh, a pretty unique engine, and, and probably from the first, the first sight that you see our engines is you're going to notice that the, uh, the the ground ladders, the 14 and the the uh, 24, they're mounted on the driver side, and that was uh, that was very intentional uh, because again, back to these small streets. Uh, so one, we could not have uh, a lot of engines in my my region have those top mounted ladders that then right. fold down right? yep. and take up like six feet off the side of the rig. That yep. was a no go because we have low park cars. We have, again, the tree canopy because they cut it basically like a half circle around the street. So again, that sidewalk side of that ladder rack coming down would be in the trees and then land on um, parallel park cars. So we needed something to come off the, uh, the into the street side um, so that was that uh, one of the reasons there. The other reason was because we have seat and tool assignments for our engine companies, um, the driver typically doesn't need as much tools and equipment as the officer and the fireman, right? So for instance, we need, so we needed the full height compartments on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the officer side. And then the, where the ladders are mounted, it's that Zyco ladder rack that kind of right. comes out and down. Yep. Um, they could have like the half, half compartments, right? So, um, for instance, on the officer side, they have high-rise hose that's hung on three pegs, and that a, a compartment being from Florida, they just get destroyed by the sun, so right. they have to be by the compartment. And um, we ran all our hose off the rear, which is pretty unique in Florida. Um, Florida is generally a cross-laid department or uh, um, state, um, so we ran everything off the rear. And um, are they dead uh, loads or pre-connects? They are pre-connects. Uh, we do have a dead load of our, for our uh, three-inch to our, our RAM nozzle and a dead load to like our apartment. Uh, Your tenement uh, lay or whatever, yeah. Yep, so uh, that, uh, again, uh, that was another spec that we had talked about because um, it's, it was always our intention to get the engine to go past the building, right? Well, guess what happens when you get with a, a, an old school guy that's not in that mindset? He wants to line that cross leg up at the front door as a driver. All right? the time. And where's the truck, right? Farther yeah. back. And when we have the rear mount, guess where they put the turntable? Even further back. Further back, so back. yep. Another reason, another reason why we get a tiller there for the mid mount to get it closer to the scene. So then now the engines are forced to pull past the building and do the little cab out like Steve Robinson is a big preacher about, right? To get right. that cab out and then 
line uh, line those uh, those pre connects up with the front door that way. So to force the, these drivers to pull past, we we take everything off the rear, which just made more sense anyway. It's just a much better pull, uh, and we do modified minute man and, and things like that. So. You know, those, those are some of the reasons on the driver's side of the equipment. It's just like foam in your typical engineer compartment, right? They don't yeah. need much equipment on that side. So the ladders can be mounted over there. And typically they're not, the engines don't throw ladders, to be honest, right? Because we have a dedicated truck and that's their duty. And you got the parade coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, so, uh, definitely a parade. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Well, thanks for sharing that because, I mean, it's always interesting to see how different departments do it. Um, and it just seems like Winter Park is the type of place, I mean, you said it earlier, um, you know, there are people that are uh, targeting to get into that department because of the culture and how good that is. And I, I have to believe that, uh, you know, after meeting you tonight and, and doing this, um, if, if half the guys have your desire and, and passion for the job and, and love for the training aspect, I can see absolutely why people want to get into that department, brother. I think, um, I think you're super squared away. And I just, I thank you for hopping in tonight with us. Um, it was nice to learn your story and to hear some, uh, you know, some stories and, uh, and to learn about, you know, your upbringing in the firehouse and, uh, and where you're headed and where you're going. And, um, man, if I could ever help in any way, love to do it. I just, uh, I want to thank you for hopping in tonight. Truly. Yeah, thanks. For, thanks for having me guys. I, you know, I really enjoyed doing this. So. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me, let me do this real quick. Um, on your website, right. I was going through and I, I opened, I opened tonight with a, with a, a paragraph from your website about who you guys are on venentersearch.com. And I just want to take it out with a simple sentence. And I just want to ask you to give us, um, you know, where people can find you and so on. But I just want to end it with this. We're humble firefighters passing on what was once passed on to us. And I think that in, in one short sentence sums up tonight and sums up your career um, and where you're going and where you're headed. Um, where can people find you? How can they hear your message? How can they hear the message of Venator Search and, and, and also um, how people can love the job? Where can they hear from you? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I really appreciate those words, guys. And uh, again, it's great talking to you all. Uh, yeah. If anyone wants to follow along with the story, um, you know, you can find uh, us at uh, venatorsearch.com. Um, and then through there, we have a Facebook page, Instagram account, and then uh, my personal one, if you just search like Eric R. Wheaton on Facebook and Canman FF is my uh, personal uh, Instagram account. I kind of post, uh, you know, like, like you guys said, I post a lot of family. I post a lot of, um, you know, physical uh, fitness stuff and then training are kind of my, uh, my three things that I'm passionate about that I really like, uh, you know, keep everybody in, in, uh, in the loop with. So. Outstanding. Well, thank you again. I wish you continued success with your career. Um, I think uh, I think you're doing incredible things, and I've been watching from afar. And I am uh, truly uh, humbled and honored to speak with you tonight to hear your message and uh, keep up the good work, man. It's uh, it's fun to it's fun to meet guys that are truly in love with the job and have a passion for it. So thank you, and uh, I wish you nothing but continued success with your career. Thanks. Thanks guys. Good. Rob, thanks, pal, for jumping in on this episode again tonight. It's nice to see you from afar. And uh, we'll be back in the studio uh, hopefully soon. I just want so. to uh, say real quick too, Eric, like yeah. for, for the people that came before you with, with, with uh, um, been on our search, like I just, as a young firefighter, you know, at one point in time who was getting beat down by the people around me, it was such a great resource to have, um, especially when like people would tell us that we were crazy. 
uh, which, you know, they, they might have been on to something. It was just wasn't about the fire service, but uh, like being able to go to that site and, you know, knowing that it made a difference. Like, I, I think it's a great, great thing that you get to be involved with. It's, yeah. I'm, I'm truly jealous because I, tonight when I was talking with Jeremy, even going back to uh, Will Price and Nick Bailey's post about that, um, you know, hidden set of uh, beds in that, uh, in that knee wall. You know, there were so many things that I thought about, you know, fires from that, that, that time and just different things we were going through. So it's really, uh, it really is a living piece of, uh, you know, fire service history here in the United States. Yeah. So it's awesome. So thank you. Making a difference, brother. Making a difference. So I thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in tonight with Rob and myself and our guest, Lieutenant Eric, Eric Wheaton. Eric, thank you, brother. And uh, I appreciate it. And we'll catch up soon. Uh, for everybody, this is Jeremy. Thanks for checking us out. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.